Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Grusk, and as you listeners know, we have been all in on getting you ready for the 2020 College Tennis Men's Dual Match season. We have had interviews these past five weeks with our five different coaches from the teams who ended the 2019 season ranked in the 10 through 6 positions. Joining me to preview those teams on the mini break and joining me on the Cracked Interviews podcast to interview the coaches of the teams we've discussed thus far and joining me again tonight, you know him as the forefather of the collegetennisranks.com formula, predictions that never fall from the listed UTR and, of course, one of the many dames who root for the Liberty Flames. Chris Halioris, welcome back to the Cracked Interviews podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, uh, likewise, Alex. Always good to be here. Yeah, I feel like at some point listeners may want to hear about what you, you know, you Chris have planned in terms of joining us, Crack Rackets, for the 2020 season. We uh, listeners who haven't no, tell, who can't tell by now, uh, Chris officially joining our Crack Rackets team. We're thrilled about that. Actually, Westoff, give me a brief applause. I feel like we never gave a podcast applause. It doesn't even have to be a brief. Give me a rousing applause, Chris. Welcome to our Crack Rackets team. That sounded like a golf clap, but okay. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually just, uh, you can't hear that, but three floors up, my mom is clapping. She's like, way to go, Chris! Um, <laughs> uh, no, but we are so thrilled to have you, uh, formerly part of our Crack Rackets team. What that really means, we don't know, but I know we have a ton of fun stuff planned for you college tennis fans come the 2020 season. And part of the way to get that underway, these interviews we've been doing with coaches, Chris, I know last week, uh, it's going to be awfully tough to top that interview we did with Coach Boland as fun as it was but this week's guest UVA head coach uh, Andreas Pedroso much like he's following up coach uh, Boland well at UVA he did one hell of a job on tonight's podcast yeah absolutely and it you know it never ceases to amaze me you, you do each one of these and you keep thinking wow that was good I don't know how it gets any better and then the next <laughs> one gets better and you know it's just it's just it's a blast having these guys on and, and talking to them I don't know if you remember this, but I think our first pod was like two years ago, and I did it literally in my car because back then we were such a unremote, you know, such an unofficial operation. I was like calling in, Westoff was calling things in, and like we were just on a phone call in our car. And I was like, and at that time I was like, wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to do a better college preview than the one I just did with Chris. And like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, we certainly have gotten better since then. So yeah, these coaching interviews, I mean, it just speaks to you wonder why college tennis has gotten better and better in the 2010s it's because the quality of these head coaches of these major programs continues to rise to the occasion oh no no doubt and and as our listeners will find out and you and you listen to coach pedroso tonight i mean you can tell that just that that the tennis you know he he loves the game of tennis 
Mm-hmm. Certainly, he loves it. He's well aware of what it takes to help a player succeed or not. We, you know, we talk about his experience. He's a two-time All-American, a former professional player, top 300 in singles and doubles, uh, assistant coach at UVA from 2010 to 2014 as well. So the pedigree for him, the resume was always there, as you'll hear in my opening poem. Uh, but to get the chance, as you mentioned, to talk to these coaches, you just get it. You're like, oh, this is why a Brandon Nakashima would put off a year of tennis to go play a year of college tennis. This is why a Blumberg stays in college, a Brandon Holt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's because the quality of these coaching of the coaching they're receiving really does help prepare them for the pro world. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I'm, but you know, I will say the the one thing Coach Pedroso certainly didn't get from Coach Boland is he certainly didn't learn how to poke at you. I, mean, <laughs> I tried to in trying to coax folks. I'm sorry, I just couldn't make it happen. Yeah, this joke is going to end up in an NCAA, NCAA violation, but I'm a booster. You never, you know, you never cross the boosters, right? I don't know. I don't know a bigger UVA booster than myself. That's a lie, NCA. I haven't given a single cent to any player under the table or any of that nonsense. I am just a big fan who happens to have a microphone by his face. And because I have that microphone, as Chris mentioned, we did have the chance to talk to Coach Pedroso, not only about his pedigree, his decision to return to college tennis, what his UVA team and the team he hopes to build, the program he hopes to keep building on uh, will look like moving Moving forward, but we also talked about his, you know, their prospects for the 2020 season. What happens when you lose players like a Henrik Weirsholman, Ashwin Lezon? Are they losing Brandon Nakashima? Coach Pedroso is is coy about it a little bit. Ah, coy is the wrong word. He's actually very. Uh, he he speaks very candidly about the situation, uh, understanding what's best for Brandon, but he doesn't want to rob Brandon of his decision. So he didn't want to, you know, rush to say Brandon is or isn't coming back before Brandon has made that statement himself. So no. Breaking news along the Brooksby lines, but again, a really fun, in-depth conversation with P- Coach Pedroso. I know all of you fans will enjoy it, so without further ado, here's Chris and my conversation with UVA men's tennis head coach, Andres Pedroso. But right now, it's star Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast as a two-time All-American and national title winning coach, today's guest has a resume that sits far beyond reproach. He was the man tasked with saving the day when he took over for Coach Boland at UVA, a guy who makes coaching look oh so fabuloso. Ladies and gentlemen, it's UVA coach Andreas Pedroso. Coach, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. You, I mentioned to the, you uh, to you this beforehand, but you know I'm a UVA fan. This is the dream come true for me. <laughs> That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Yeah. And so this is an interview, you know, that I've been chasing for a long time. I apologize if I come off nervous from the get go, but coach, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you uh, being here, this is great. How, how's your uh, holiday season? How's your Thanksgiving going? Everything's going great. You know, I've got uh, three boys under the age of five in my house, so the value of my home goes down every day. 
um, <laughs> but it's it's always exciting and they're looking forward to, to Santa Claus and so we're getting all geared up for that that's a huge day and we can't disappoint them and uh, guys are taking finals right now so they're focused on academics but you know we got through the fall with no injuries and and everyone worked hard so the team's in good shape and I'm uh, I'm actually headed to Florida on Thursday for a family vacation my wife's family's in Delray and my my family's in Miami so I'll be there for about seven or eight days to, to visit family oh that's awesome and for you now that it's year three would you say things have you know stabilized you've got a pretty you know strong start to your season in terms of where you want to be as a team yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, when I took the job, if I had a dollar for every time someone said you had big shoes to fill, I would be a massively rich man right now. But uh, <laughs> those comments have kind of gone away and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's changed a lot, but, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a great two years and I've learned a ton and, you know, Brian set me up for success in a lot of ways. So I'll always be thankful for that. But it's it's an honor to have this job, and I'm obsessed with the University of Virginia. I'm like a Thomas Jefferson nut, and I love love the grounds and the rotunda and everything that goes with the University of Virginia. I'm a huge fan of, so it's an easy place for me to sell, and it's an honor to be here. And I love Charlottesville; it's a perfect place for my family. So it's it, yeah, it's it's a dream job for me. Yeah, and Coach, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously right there, your love of the school, and I know you were an ACC player back in the day. You played at Duke, and believe me, I've got questions left. I've got a 1996 Kalamazoo question for you that I promise you'll enjoy. Uh, that match versus Kevin Kim is still in the back of my mind. Uh, but, you know, uh, for you, you mentioned it being a dream job, and I know you were an assistant coach there during four of the best years. But uh, for you, getting, you know, you, you left college tennis, you go into the private sector, and then you get this call what was it about you know the UVA job what was it about college tennis that you know kept calling back to you that made you want to return to the sport well you know UVA had been had finished top three in the country for I don't know how many years in a row before I had gotten there and I just I felt like Brian was somebody that I could really learn from somebody that had a lot of experience in college tennis and he had built programs before and when he when he was interviewing me I think we were probably preseason number one so I said geez what a way to go into college tennis being <laughs> for a team that's you know that you've got you've just you've got an unbelievable team and I just said what a great what a great way to start and what a great way to learn and and then I came and visited Charlottesville and you know two of my two of my best friends uh went to UVA when I was growing up with Brian Bailey and, and Huntley Montgomery and they would always give me a hard time about how much better UVA was than Duke and how much nicer Charlottesville was than Durham. And, and I just, you know, I said, whatever, guys, you guys just go to UVA and that's how you talk. But when I got to Charlottesville, you know, I realized what a special place this, this place really is. And, and it's not just the school, but the city and everything that this place is all about. So when I got here, I said, gosh, this would be a great place to live too. And I was just about to get married and um, my wife came to visit. She loved it, and 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 then we went from there, and, and it was a great experience. So, so coach, you know, I I don't expect you to have listened to to our interview with with Coach Boland, but but being that that he mentored you, I'm hoping that he mentored you well enough to know if you that that he spent a good deal of time just poking at Gruskin. So please, uh, during, the, during the whole course of this interview, that's, that's, that's mission number one. 
Um, yeah, you can you can ask Dustin Taylor and Brian's assistants. He's famous for his needle when it comes to his staff. <laughs> <laughs> He's not afraid to needle. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So so yeah, what the you know as we as we start looking looking forward to this year's this year's team. Uh, to, you know, tell us about some of the some of the new guys, new faces you've got on the team coming in. Yeah, so our two freshmen that are joining us in the fall are Christian Alshon and R.J. Friesen. And Christian, I've known for a long time because when I was coaching privately in Florida for those three and a half years, uh, I ran in, I ran into Christian at every tournament. So I watched him compete at tournaments since he was 12 years old. And I think that the biggest reason, the two biggest reasons why uh, I brought him onto the team were was number one. I mean, his his competitiveness. And I just, I, I've always thought of him as a winner and a gamer and, and somebody that just loves to compete. And I just thought that I thought that college tennis would be a perfect arena for him to kind of showcase his skills. And when he came on his visit, I said, you know what, I don't want to see this guy across the net. And so I did everything I could to get him at Virginia. And luckily he chose us. And the other reason was, is I've known him for a long time and I've always gotten along really well with him. And he comes from a great family and, and uh, he's just a great, great person, great kid, and he's already added a lot of value to our culture and our team. And and so he's he's going to be a great addition. I'm looking forward to him watching him in a dual match this spring. And and then the second one is R.J. Friesen, who I didn't get to know until probably you know around the fall of last year. And he he is the most passionate. Uh, kid you'll ever meet about tennis and he's got a, a really incredible story where you know he he got diagnosed with a stress fracture in his back about two and a half years ago and he didn't play a tournament for, for two years and before that he was you know one of the best kids in the country in the 12s and the 14s and he sent me a couple videos when uh when he called me for the first time and i said geez these videos look unbelievable and i don't really i don't really pay too much attention to videos in the recruiting process to be honest with you but these videos were pretty spectacular. <laughs> and I, and I said, gosh, this guy's, this guy's good. And, and I looked it up and I looked, I did some research on him and obviously had great results. And, and then he came on his visit and I just, you know, I fell in love with the kid. I just thought that this guy's going to be incredible for our culture and somebody that's going to come to work every single day. And everybody that I spoke to about RJ Friesen, including other recruits and other coaches, they just said, gosh, this kid is, he's all about becoming the best tennis player he can be. And on top of that, he comes from a great family and, and, and he's a great kid and, and he values academics. And so these two guys are really going to add a lot of value to our culture. They already have. And, and I expect them to, to impact the program on the court as well. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how these guys, these guys start to break through in college tennis. For sure. And for you personally, I, I mean, you were at UVA before and, you know, obviously with Coach Bull and you guys did one heck of a job recruiting from Alex Damajan, Mitchell Frank, Ryan Shane, my class of 2017, the Richard, JC Aragoni, Ty Kwiatkowski uh, cohort. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, recruiting at UVA is something that has always been easy. But for you, your first year, uh, you know, a little bit slower, you get the late edition of Gianni Ross. Last year, you get the late edition of Nakashima. But for you now, having three years to go uh, at recruiting, you know, what is it, your philosophy to approaching, you know, a con- is it, you know, one player a year? Is it maybe one year you load up with four years, but how have you approached recruiting now that you're the head coach of the program? Well, I mean, number one, I think at Virginia, 
at Virginia, the way I want to do it is, is I want to bring in kids that value academics and tennis and kids that believe that you can do both at a high level and, and graduate ready to play pro tennis at, at the highest level, if that's what you want to do. And so that's what I've tried to do. I've tried to try to recruit players and families that, that really want to dive into both, not just one. And, and I think that's what we've been able to do. And, you know, you look at this next class that we have coming in next fall, um, you know, two foreigners, actually. So one kid from Spain, Iñakis Montes de la Torre, and, and a kid from Luxembourg, Chris Rodesh, and then, an, and then our lone American of the class, Alex Kiefer. Um, all three guys want to play pro tennis when they leave the University of Virginia, and, and they're all very invested in their academics. And I, that's why they chose Virginia. So that's, that's the type of kid I'm looking for. Um, and, and obviously guys that have played in big moments and guys that want to play in the biggest moments of college tennis and, and, and play in final fours and, and ACC championships. And those are, those are guys. And you, you know, what I look at when I watch them play tournaments is how do they handle important moments and matches? How do they handle being the favorite? How do they handle being the underdog? And I can tell based on what I see, how they're, how comfortable they're going to be in those big moments. And, and at Virginia, that's the bar. The bar is to play in those big moments every single year, and 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 those are yeah, those are probably the the prerequisites that I, that I look at, along with love of the game. They have to love tennis, and and um, yeah, just all around good people that are going to add value to the culture. Yeah, coach. I noticed that I, I'm I'm sure you're keeping up probably more than me, but I saw De La Torre got a nice uh, first round win in the Orange Bowl today. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a tough match. He he lost to that kid about five or six weeks five or six weeks ago in Barcelona. It was like his fourth tournament in a row. He plays in the semis and, and he lost in a tight three setter. So to get through that one today was was big for him. And uh, especially after losing first round last week at the Eddie Her to a tough Frenchman, another guy that he that he had lost seven six and third to in Spain about a month ago. Um, so it's nice to get a win under his belt and see if we can see if he can make a run in, at the Orange Bowl. But I'm I'm really excited about him. He's a he's a great competitor, and he's a really fun tennis player to watch. He's got a lot of variety and he moves unbelievable. He's got a lot of Mitchell Frank in him, and it's the and he he even uses a similar racket. And it, when the first time I watched him play, I just said, "Gosh, this guy reminds me so much of Mitchell Frank." And <laughs> Anytime you say Mitchell Frank and it comes and and it pertains to UVA, that's a good thing. So <laughs> yeah, now you're talking my language. Yeah, are we talking drop shots? A lot of forehand, you know, a lot of run around the forehands. We're looking at just those, yeah, just death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think Mitchell let the game come to him a little more than than Inyaki. I think Inyaki goes after guys a little more, but he's still great defensively and you know, kind of like an Andy Murray style player. And, and I loved watching Mitchell Frank. I was a huge Mitchell Frank fan, loved being a court. And, and, um, and yeah, this guy's cut from the same cloth. Yeah. I often describe myself as a poor man's Mitchell Frank and that I like to get my time in and my forehand is also ugly, uh, but strangely effective. Um, no, I mean, look, I, I could do 30 minutes on Mitchell Frank and we'll save those questions for the end, but you talk, yeah, see, you, now you got me going. Just wait till we get to the Alex Damajan portion of this interview. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, leadership that these new recruits are bringing in and buying into the culture. And again, I, I we will focus on your 2020 team, but 
for the, this being year three for you, I know you still have Carl, uh, you know, number one player, I think, preseason in the country, a guy who has a national title under his belt and knows what it means to be a UVA who. But this past offseason, you lose two guys who were a part of that as well, uh, that culture in Henrik and Ash. And I'm just curious for you, uh, what is it like for you when a program loses two guys with that sort of experience? Um, I know you still have Carl, but what is the burden that's left behind for you know the rest of the team, whether it be the coaching or the leaders, uh, the players on the team who uh, show leadership? What is you know how do you guys fill that gap? Yeah, they were tremendous leaders for us. Uh, they were captains for two years for a reason, and even Henry was a was a captain even with the shoulder injury that sidelined him during during last year. And, uh, and they were, they had a huge impact on the guys, not just on the court, but off the court. And, you know, their, their senior banquet speech that I gave was, I put a lot of thought into it because they're two guys that have meant so much to the program. I mean, Henrik was, has been extremely clutch for the program and he's been extremely invested as well as his family in the program. And he's built incredible relationships, not just with Brian's teams, but with my teams. And, and he's, you know, he's never going to be forgotten. And so he's, he's been incredible in the sense that he was a great player and a great leader. I mean, Ash, remember Ash didn't play his first year and he was on the sidelines and, and literally would go on the court and Brian and Dustin would say, listen, we need you to play this way for uh, Colin Altamirano against Ohio state, or, you know, at Ty, we need you to, we need you to play this way against Ty because he's playing somebody from North Carolina and, and so he would literally go out there and be a, a servant to the program and and do whatever it took to get these guys ready. And then he went from there to being on the court and having a breakout year, his junior year, and and being an incredible leader for us. I mean, he, he clinched, I think, three, four, three matches his senior year. And and that that's for a reason. It's because the guy worked super hard and he had incredible character and he earned everything that he got. So... I mean, yeah, those are two huge leaders that we lost, but I'd like to think that, that the guys learned a lot from those two those two guys. And, you know, they, they talked a lot about what UVA was um, before I got here. And there's a lot that was right about the program that I wasn't going to try and fix because it wasn't broken. And and they passed on those lessons to, to the players on the team. And, and Carl's been able to do that as well, as well as Amar. And... And it's, it's just a level of professionalism and it's a level of being there for each other. Relationships is everything in this program, spending time with each other, communicating with each other, staying in touch, being, being there for each other when they're down. And, and I'd like to think that, and I, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I'm watching these guys every day, and, and, and I know that they learned a lot from those two guys. And, and Carl is continuing, Carl and Amar are continuing that. And, and I, I think the culture is only going to keep improving. So that's, I always tell the guys it's one of our biggest weapons is the culture, is the fact that we're so close. And, you know, Brian and I, we, we talked about it in 2011, 2012. We lost those two NCAA finals because, frankly, I think USC was closer as a group. And, and we learned the hard way there, and, and we've put a lot of time into our culture ever since then. And I think the culture has been really strong, and, uh, and there's no clicks and you know, guys accept each other, they empathize with each other, and, and they work hard together. So um, a strong culture and a united group is, is a huge weapon in college tennis. 
I think a testament to that culture is the fact your first season, you mentioned the Henrik injury, but you know coming off of three straight national titles, you guys go 14-13, and 13, and obviously that is not the standard UVA had seen the past 15 years before that. And you know, yes, when you add a player like Brandon Nakashima and get Henrik back the next year you know, on paper, what that does to a team's roster is obvious, uh, but it's a testament to the fact that you guys go 24-5 and five last season, uh, make the ACC tournament final end up getting to the NCAA quarterfinals. Uh, you know, what do you think outside of the talent? Because obviously when you add Brandon and Henrik, that there's that. But what allowed you guys to flip the switch back on so quickly to, you know, easily erase that 2017-18 season and have the success you did last year? I mean, I think that 2017-18 season helped us in a lot of ways because, you know, before you can really win the right way you have to learn how to lose together and 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 lose the right way and and i thought we did that in 2000 the 2018 season i mean these guys i I really feel like we maximized that year we did the best we could and guys fought like crazy and you know we were probably a couple points away from from getting even closer to beating columbia than than we were in that second round match i really thought we were close there and that would have been a huge result but i really felt like guys felt that that we we left it all on the table and that's, that's what it's all about. It's about doing your best and preparing the best you can and having peace of mind at the end of it all. And, and I, and I feel like that carried on to the next year, you know, just trying to be the best version of yourself every day, just trying to work as hard as you can, trying to prepare as best you can do as well in school as you can try and treat people with respect and consideration as best you can. And you do all those things and you like each other. It's, it's going to be really impossible not to maximize um, so I think with the added talent, I think obviously that helped a lot, but you know, we squeaked out a lot of matches last year that I don't think we would have squeaked out if we hadn't checked every box when it comes to, you know, academics, tennis, who we are as people, how close we are. And, and, and I really believe in that. I really believe that if you, if you take care of, if your life is in order and you can take care of everything in your life in the right way with, with maximum effort and, and the right intentions, I think you're going to maximize in whatever you do. And, and that's what will happen this year. Cause I think this, this group is going to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, at the end of last season, the UNC match in the ACC tournament and South Carolina and Stanford at the NCAAs the year before those matches go the other way. Right. And it's not like I wasn't following along the way. I felt a lot of those four, three matches in 2018. That was the first time Chris and I had met and he's like, Oh, your hooves not looking so great, Alex. And I'm like, shut up. We just won three titles. Just don't give me that right now. Um, but yeah, it, it speaks to the, I guess the, the, collective strength of the team that you're able to come through those moments and I guess as you look to this year or you know as you look to this year after um, you know the the changes your roster undergoes how do you prepare your team you know how do you adapt to the changes to get ready to put your team through that same situation in 2020? Yeah well I mean I I think these guys know why they chose Virginia not just because of the academics and but also just the history of the program and what's expected of you and 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 honestly, I mean, it sounds it sounds a little arrogant, but I considered an honor to put the V saver on. And I know the guys considered an honor to put the V saver on. And they know that when they go out there, they're not just representing themselves, but they're representing a program of of players that have competed like crazy and 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 have just done it the right way. And so there's a sense of responsibility to go out there and and believe in yourself and believe in your game and and do the best you can and. 
and that's what I think this next group's going to do. And, you know, we have the Somdevs, the Tread Hueys of the world, you know, the Ties and the JCs and Lucas and, you know, that whole, that whole crew, the, the Richards that come back to Charlottesville, Austin. And, and they, they, they talk about it with the guys and they, you know, they, they make clear what the expectation is and it does, it's not, the expectation is not to win, but it's to, it's to go out there and compete like a Wahoo, like a, like a Virginia Cavalier. And, and, and these guys hear it all the time and they spend a lot of time with our former players and we're so lucky to have them back so often. And, and that's just the expectation. And these guys chose Virginia for a reason. They're not, they're not afraid of the limelight. They're not afraid of the big moment. And it just comes with the territory and it's great preparation for life, especially if these guys want to go on to work for incredible companies and organizations, you know, they're going to have to, uh, you know, deal with expectations and big moments and, and it's, it's more fun. Those moments are, that's why you play college tennis. And when, you know, when I recruit kids, I say, you know, the best kids in the world, I just say, this is what you want to do. You want to play in the biggest moments of college tennis against the best programs and anything less you're, you're settling for. So um, I think they understand that. And I think it's, I think it's relayed to them in a healthy way that it's not overwhelming with pressure and, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Well, one player who certainly bought into that idea was Brandon Nakashima, who comes in last year in the winter, goes 17 and five during the dual match season, seemed to just get better and better as the year progressed, you know, ultimately culminating in that year end uh, match with Wake Forest, where him and Petros, I mean, two of the best players in the country going back and forth now. It pains me to ask this, obviously, but I, I know earlier today, Colette Lewis sort of threw it out there on tennis Twitter, and this is obviously a big question for your storyline, but, you know, Brandon had such a successful fall, and, um, you know, I, if you don't want to get into the exact specifics, that's fine as well, but you have to imagine, uh, you know, do you expect Brandon to come back this year, or do you think he will ultimately make the jump to the pros, and what does having a player like Brandon around your culture do to help raise your team? Yeah, f- fair question, Alex. I'm going to leave his decision, or at least the announcement of his decision, up to him. But in terms of his impact on our program last season, it was tremendous as a singles player, doubles player, as a teammate, as a student. Um, I, I thought he came in and, and you know, really, really did a great job on all fronts. I mean, in doubles, him and Henrik were one of the best teams in the country uh, by the end of the year. They were really fun to watch. And... He, you know, really clutch for us in, in some big matches. And in singles, Brandon was a rock. I mean, he he won a lot of tight matches that got us across the finish line against some some tough teams and some tough moments. And as a teammate, you know, the guys the guys love Brandon Nakashima and so do the coaches. And he's he's been a really important part of our program for the last, you know, eight to ten months. And and uh and I know the guys have learned a lot from him and just the way he works, how engaged he is with his game and, and how his focus is really on, you know, becoming the best tennis player he can be, becoming the best person he can be. And and I think this is somebody that, you know, when he does leave college and, and he does go on the pro tour, he's not only going to be a great tennis player, but somebody that, that people look up to as a human being. And, and I think he's going to be a great role model for young people. So... So yeah, tremendous impact on our program, and we feel lucky that he's a Wahoo, and and um, and we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what he says in his announcement. 
so, so let's, let's, if we move down beyond, obviously, Brandon and, and Carl, the, the rest of the lineup for the year, Coach, you've got, obviously, you're, you're bringing, you know, Gianni and Ryan back, who saw, you know, obviously significant playing time last year. Uh, but then as we kind of did as, in, our, in our preview earlier, it's kind of, you know, as we look at it, and we're the outsiders, you know, it kind of looks like a free-for-all after that with guys like William Woodall and Amar and Matthew Lord and Christian Alshon. I mean, what's have you got? Have you gotten a good sense yourself yet? You know, now that these guys are basically gone and coming back in January, getting ready to play, of kind of what you're going to try when you start the season? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's wide open, and yeah, it's wide open, and we've got a lot of parity at those those spots in the lineup, and you know, we're just we're going to go with the guys that that we believe are going to leave it all out on the court. The guys that come the best prepared from winter break. And, and then we'll start out with some guys, but then, you know, no one's spot is safe and, and everyone's going to be competing for these spots. And, and it's a great, it, it's going to be a great experience for, for these guys because they're going to, they're going to make each other better and they're going to push each other every day. But honestly, I have no idea where our lineup's going to be in, in January at this point. How about on the, on the doubles front? I mean, you've had the fall, to kind of mix, you know, try some different doubles pairings in your own head. Have you have have you gotten yourself at least to where you you feel like you've got a, at least a couple pairings that you like, and you know what where you you, where you think you're going to start the year, or are you in the same boat there where you're coming back in January yeah. and, and figuring it out? I'm pretty much in this. I'm pretty much in the same boat. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, when I was an assistant here, it was always kind of like that when we'd come back from from winter break and it was like, okay, so who are we going to put in doubles? And it wasn't really like a set team, except maybe, you know, <laughs> Drew Courtney and Michael Chabaz were obviously a set team. And, uh, you know, you had other set teams there, but, but, you know, this year it's pretty wide open. I mean, obviously William Woodall and Gianni Ross won some huge matches for us in the postseason last year. So that's a team that's got a lot of chemistry and a lot of experience. Um, you know, Matt Lord and Carl Soderlund have played, have played two straight years together off and on. So they, they got a lot of experience as well. Um, but, you know, last year we really didn't get to play Ryan Getz due to his back injury. Um, so, you know, Ryan, Ryan's got to play doubles. So Ryan's too good of a player not to put him in the doubles, on, in the doubles lineup. And then, you know, Christian, Christian's been a – incredible doubles player uh, in the juniors as well. And, and Amar and, and Ryan played well this fall and, and um, RJ, you know, returns with the best of them. So it, we've got a lot of options and, and honestly, yeah, sorry, I can't give you more, more color there, but it's kind of up in the air and it just, it just depends on how guys come back from winter break and, and, um, and then we'll see, and we'll probably be changing it up, you know, throughout the year. Uh, we'll see. No, that's fine. I just I'm reserving the right to text you again come January. Be like, all right, now what are we thinking, Coach? Um, but no, uh, and we talked about this in our preview as well. Is uh, because you will have the chance to play with the different spots of your roster uh, going into you know the ACC season and especially these past ten years to be top three in the ACC yourselves, UNC, Wake Forest. It usually meant you were a top ten, maybe even a top eight, top five team. Um, 
for you guys, knowing that this year in the ACC, uh, you know, Wake have, has lost a bunch of guys. UNC obviously brings back a ton of talent. There's just a ton of talented teams, uh, you know, one through seven, eight, nine this year in the ACC. How important is it for your team to have, you know, things figured out by that ACC season? Or will you still be able to use those dual matches against your fellow conference foes to sort of play around with things? Yeah, you know, if, if there's one thing that I've learned in this job is, is you've got to gather facts and, and kind of wait till you have all the information to, to make decisions, especially when it comes to lineups. I think by the ACC schedule, you should have a pretty good idea, but, you know, changing the doubles lineup is, is always fair game. I mean, we changed the doubles lineup last year in the middle of the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm totally open to changing up at all times and keeping people, people guessing and, and also trying different teams as far as chemistry goes. But um, yeah, the ACC this year is going to be awesome. I mean, just as far as the, the, the competitiveness of matches, I mean, again, there's a lot of parody. Every match is going to be a war. And, and that's, again, that's, that's a reason why you go to an ACC school because the conference is so, so tough and high quality and it's going to be really exciting because you know every, every single match is going to be tough. So so yeah, it's, I think that's I think that's just a positive. I, I wouldn't expect you to say anything less, Coach. But I tell you, I I live in Louisville, and your opening match January 18th is at Louisville, and that's not going to be a war, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I will be there to watch, but I I expect nothing. I, well, it might be a war from the bloodbath that occurs, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I agree with you there. These, that's a. That's it's. That's a tough place to play, and and it's. We, they beat us my first year, and so to tell you the truth, I'm going in there with all the respect in the world, and so are the guys. So we, we are not <laughs> taking that team lightly by any means. You guys can go ahead and do that, but we, yeah, we will not. <laughs> no, but speaking of which, so obviously you're familiar with the facility. What What are your thoughts on the personally? you know from a player's perspective it may be okay from a fan's perspective there there's two things that i that i really can't stand about that about that and one is just the general anywhere that does a split three and three yeah. what, what what's your take on the split versus six courts in a row well if you can't see in between then yes it's it's not ideal because you can't see what's going on and it's a different energy and there's like there's unknowns but you know, the players should be focused on their court and the coaches should be focused on their court ideally. But, you know, sometimes you can't help but wondering what's going on on the other courts. Um, but, yeah, it's just, again, it's a tough place to play and it just adds another variable to the equation that, that makes it a tough place to play. And, and um, yeah, we will 100% be ready. And But I think if you have a facility where you split the, split the six courts down the middle in threes, but you can see it across – I don't think it's as big of a deal. I actually think it's it's gonna. I actually think it gives you a little bit more of an arena type feel if the if the courts are divided um, in two. So so yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem as long as as long as there's you can see in between the six. The, yeah. For, if, for our listeners that don't know, the Louisville indoor facility is split to three and three, and it's and there's literally a lobby in between. Exactly. You can't, you can't yeah. see through. So in, in a case like that, I mean, obviously, like you said, the players really it shouldn't matter to them they're focused on their match you yeah. guys are the ones more worried about what's going on so do you send brian back and forth between the two <laughs> sides or, or how do you split up between the three of you how do you split the coaching duties when you've got two sides like that yeah i mean it, again it just depends on the relationships um 
where the relationships are as far as, you know, who feels comfortable with who and who, which coach has momentum with which player and which player, you know, feels the most comfortable with their coach. And, you know, it obviously doesn't always fit perfectly, but, you know, I feel like, I feel like all three coaches have great relationships with all the guys so they can coach anybody, but I definitely don't have Brian running across six courts giving me updates <laughs> because, Brian, because as competitive as Brian is, I don't think I could get him off the court. <laughs> His coaching. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. The, the dual matches are so fun. I'm looking forward to the season and it's, it's so much more fun than the fall. And, you know, people don't really understand what it is until they experience a match, especially a competitive one. And, and uh, it's it's why college tennis is so special, and why I think we'll we'll see a lot more team competitions on the pro tour, and that's just that's just going to help tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, listeners, that was Chris taking the shots at Louisville. I don't know what sort of mood he's in, but that just seems he's feeling a little spunky right now. Um, but on the idea of rule changes, and we'll talk about some fun ones during our rapid fire, but last season you got the chance to experience the new round of 16 format, and you had the chance as a program to host Stanford in that round of 16 match. Uh, obviously, you guys came through and ended up winning that and got to, you know, because you were a top eight seed, got to be, play the role of host. But I'm curious, you know, you played the other format. You've also played ad versus no ad scoring. Um, what do you think about the change round of 16 format and in general the changes that have come to college tennis uh, since you stepped away, the no ad scoring, the abbreviated doubles points, things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, I think the doubles point is, I mean, anything can happen because it's a set and no ad scoring. So, I mean, you've got to come out guns blazing or else you fall asleep for a minute and you lose the doubles point. So again, I think it adds excitement to it. Um, I think, I think it's a, I think it's an appropriate length. I don't think it's too short or too long. I think, you know, it's, it just makes doubles that much more electric, which is, which is fun. Um, the no ad scoring at first, I wasn't, I wasn't in favor of it because I thought, Oh, it's not like the pro tour, you know, it's going to hurt our players physically and all these things. But, but honestly, these matches are so intense and it's so, it means so much to these guys that it taxes you in a different way that the pro tour or junior tennis doesn't tax you. And so I think there's still very physical matches and I think recovering from these matches is not easy. And so I think the whole physicality argument isn't, isn't really an argument once you've played in one of these dual matches and once you've experienced it firsthand. Um, I think, so I like the no ad scoring. I think it, it's created more parity in college tennis. I think, I think there's a lot, there's, there's teams down the rankings that are competing a lot closer with teams high in the rankings. Um, I think, I think the round of 16 hosting the round of 16 match is a huge advantage for whichever, for the top 16 teams. Uh, I, I really think it is. I mean, I thought we had a great crowd for Stanford and, and, um, and it was an, it was an electric crowd and it was, it was an unbelievable match and, and it would definitely helped us. So I think it's a huge edge for the top 16 teams, but you know, with, with what it takes to be a top, top 16 team, I think, I think it's merited. I think you earned it. And I think it's, if they're going to do it that way, I think, I think it's fine. Um, you know, a lot of teams will, will might complain about it, but if we're ever not a top 16 team, I won't complain about it because I think it's fair. And, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's fine. Just go out there and compete. It's fun to play at places like Virginia and, and Ohio State and Baylor and Florida and all these great places that have these great fans and and it's fun that's that's what it's all about that's what you want to play so 
fair game, and I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Just adding a home match for fans. I mean, a home match beats a round of 16 sparsely attended except for by the Fruit Flies match in Orlando. It's like, yeah, so I would completely agree with you there. Um, I have a segment of fun questions I want to get to that are non-2020 UVA season, but to wrap up on your team this season again, uh, you lose Henrik, uh, Ash, and maybe or maybe not Brandon. We'll put a little asterisk next to that one. Um, but for your roster, uh, you look at the fall results, and I would say it was you know a pretty successful fall. You have guys like Gianni Ross going uh, nine and two, Ryan Getz eleven and four, Amara Alakbani eleven and two as well. Um, what have you seen from your team this fall again that has you ready for the 2020 season? And as UVA fans, and this is a personal question in this instance, what should we expecting from the Who's this season? I think you're going to see a team that only gets better because. I told this to the team at our last team dinner. I said, guys, this is a, you guys are a group of guys that I can go to with suggestions, feedback, or constructive criticism. And, you know, a lot of kids might blow it off or not listen or maybe take it personally, but this team is, actually takes it to heart. And they actually try to improve themselves on and off the court, and they really, they really take feedback well, and they're very coachable and – and they're all about just continuing to get better. So I think you're going to see a team that only gets better. You know, we have we have a little bit, you know, we'll have some spots where we won't have as much experience as in the past. But I think that's a great opportunity for these younger guys. And you're going to see guys step up. And you're obviously going to see guys fail. But that's part of learning and part of growing. And these guys handle that adversity really well. You know, they've... They, they they really they really want to get better and they really want to improve and and just grow as people and and so I think that's what you'll see you'll see a team that competes like crazy and you'll see a team that competes fairly and and you're going to see a team that's only going to get better and I think come come April when the ACCs come around you're going to see a team that that can play with anyone so um, so I'm excited yeah it should be a good good uh, good process of of evolution. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, for our college tennis fans out there, is there any place like a match at the Boar's Head in Charlottesville? Uh, shouldn't that, isn't that a must-attend location? Absolutely not. Playing at the Boar's Head against against a great team, there's nothing that there's nothing that gets our fans out more than that. And you know, it's just it's just a special special place to play. And um, I think everyone should, if they're a college tennis fan, everyone should come to UVA at some point and and experience it because it really is it's a it's a blessing for us and and it's it's a lot of fun yeah i'm still itching i I gotta get down there for national indoors i gotta get down there for charlotte's charlottesville challenger those are two things on my tennis bucket list that i have yet to do um and i will be you know attempting to do moving forward but with that in mind there's one last thing i want to do with you it's something we do with all of our guests run uh, them through a rapid fire series of questions more so in that the topics are going to vary quite a bit from question to question then you have to give quick answers but sound good with uh with you coach pedroso yeah all right well then on that note westoff give me a rapid fire sound effect all right Let's start here. Again, two-time All-American. Uh, you never lost an ACC match while as a player at Duke. You never lost uh, an ACC match at, while as an assistant coach at Virginia. How does something like that happen? Um, you get lucky. You get to play on good teams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just, we got to, I got to play on great teams. 
So that, honestly, I can't take credit for that because a lot of a lot of those matches I lost and the team won. So uh, I just, yeah, I just I've been a part of great teams. So <laughs> no, certainly, and again, I mentioned that 1996 boys 18s Kalamazoo third round Andres Pedrosa taking on number four seed and eventual champion Kevin Kim a match you lost uh, I believe 6-0-6-4 not to rub that in your face but uh, you know I mentioned two-time All-American you know you've played Kalamazoo how much does it help you and you know as you're coaching players through the matches as you're trying to relate to them to say look I've had these experiences how much do you rely on your own personal experiences as a player to you know connect with these guys uh all the time i mean i've always believed that that one of the best ways to coach is is to tell your story and show your players that you can relate to them and there's something that i really take pride in and it's it's to never forget and to keep reminding myself by going out there and competing how hard this sport really is and that's why i give these guys a lot of credit to step in the moments that they do and to train as hard as they do and to study as hard as they do and 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 to to still go out there and do it with 100% effort, and it's it, it, it's not easy. It's not easy, especially at a school like Virginia, where where you're studying just as hard as as you're playing tennis. And 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 I think that's I think it's great. I think it helps prepare kids for life. And and um, but again, it's really hard. And I try never to lose sight of that. And I try to remind my players all the time that that I'm super proud of them when they go out there and and they, and they give their best effort because it's 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 a hard hard sport and it's might be the hardest sport in the world to make a living at um let alone become an all-american and 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 do the type of things that these guys are doing so yeah and look you're a former top 300 pro in both singles and doubles um you're in pretty good shape if i if you'll let me say i i won't ask you to play you know how you compete against your current team but you know i know you brought back a former incredibly successful college tennis player to be your assistant coach in scott brown one of my favorite characters of 21st century college tennis you and scott go on the court right now two out of three sets a do either of you finish the match and b what's that score look like it probably only lasts a set, and <laughs> Scott probably wins seven six in a two hour set. <laughs> so Scott can play. Scott can still play. Scott might be one of actually he is one of our best doubles players. So I'm not afraid <laughs> to throw Scott in the fire with 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 the with the who's at practice. But uh, but yeah, he's a character. He uh, he is he. I, I can't tell you how much enjoyment and how much laughter he brings to the team i mean he is he just puts everybody in a good mood and just makes sure that the, the energy's right and and it's a good balance between him and i he uh there's nobody better on the sidelines of, of keeping guys loose and just keeping it keeping it chill and and we're lucky to have scott does the team of pedroso brown play three doubles for uva two doubles I mean, I'm not going to say, but we we can battle with anyone. Uh, we've recently we battled with some teams, and I don't know the guys might say differently, but we 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 can battle with anyone. I like I like our chances. Which brings me to the follow up of let's say as opposed to coin flips to determine serve, we said at the start of the match the coaches are going to play one doubles point or two out of three doubles points, and whoever wins gets to decide uh, who serves when on which court. Uh, is that something you would be in favor of? Absolutely. <laughs> We'd be all in. We'd be all in. Yeah, I hear, I hear Coach saying, bring Bresky on right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
you would see you would see a full dynamic warm up from the UVA coaching staff before these matches. <laughs> No, I'm just – I can't wait for you to call Coach Brown like, hey, I'm po- served to Bolin's backhand. I'm poaching, and we're getting him back. This is for 2011. Um, is, that, is, is, is if I asked Tony and Chris Eden to do that before match, they'd probably say yes. So <laughs> that, I, I'll actually bring that up the next time I see, I see them. They, yeah. they, they'd go for it. I don't know yeah. what the referees would, but they'd want to do it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying the coin toss is so boring. It's like we can do better. And so, why not have a little t- entertainment uh, as a part of it? Um, yeah, exactly. I've got some other ones too. I, I'll, I'll, th- I'll run. We can run through these ideas now, real quick. We've been asking all of the coaches, uh, as opposed to one through six singles. And we've heard the cons from other coaches, but I'm curious your thoughts. You, lawless lineups. Neither team knows what it's going to look like beforehand. Coaches, it's at your discretion. Play whoever, wherever. Wow. Um, I haven't really thought about that one. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I mean, I think it would hurt college tennis, to be honest, because then the best players are not going to be guaranteed the best competition. So that's something that, you know, might be something that you'd have to deal in recruiting when you're recruiting these top, top kids that have one foot in pro tennis and one foot in college tennis. And they want to play the best players in college tennis. And if they have the chance to play another team's number six, then they might see that as a, as a waste of time. So I don't know if, if that would help our cause in, in continuing to increase the level of competition at college tennis. That's fair, but which is why I would say the, the, that would be my original negotiating point so that we do just the home field advantage. To make a home court that much more important, it's that the home team gets to decide lineup. So let's say you say to a, uh, a Nandin Brakashima, you're like, hey, Nandin, you know, I promise I'm going to play you at one no matter what. Um, and then he's like, all right, cool coach. But you know, the home team, it just, it incentivizes a home court advantage. I just, I'm just looking for little, you know, nicks and changes. And the, then the home, then the home team can match up. Yeah, that's good. The home team gets to choose. I'm saying, so like, let's say you go to Louisville. Have the advantage with the crowd. Yeah, but now you're going to Louisville and it's really, you know, if you can get a hundred, you know, big crowd there now, there really could be an upset. Jeez. <laughs> Gruskin's never That's been aggressive. to Louisville. There's two bleachers inside that fit thirty people. That's aggressive. That's aggressive. But yeah. I don't favor that one. But I like I like your creativity. <laughs> I appreciate it. I also I mean, what about the idea of you talked about it being a long fall? Move all individuals to the fall versus all team stuff in the spring. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to see the NCAA individual event in the at the end of the fall. Just buy yourself some time. Yeah, and I, I just think that it's just it's more fair. I mean, it's, it's the highlight of the individual season, and and having it when guys are fresh, rather than having a guy who just won the national championship with his team show up the next day and and having to battle through that. I mean, many guys have done it. You know, uh, you know the guy from Texas this year did it, and and Stevie Johnson did it, and you know I know well Sonda didn't get that far in the team event, but he did it as well, and. Jameer came pretty close, yeah. Jameer, yeah, it's been done. Um, but I think you could make it even a bigger deal if you had it at the end of the fall. I mean, then you could really, really promote it and and you know make it a make it a huge a huge event. And you know you could host it at the U.S. Open or whatever it is. And um, I, I just like to see it, yeah, individual in the fall and and team in the spring. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm all in on that. Well, then, last two for you, I swear, and then we'll let you go. Um, so in case you know our listeners are where we are doing a current best of the decade series on one of our other podcasts, the Great Shot Podcast, just looking at the 2010s of tennis. And you played obviously a pivotal role in the 2010s college tennis. You were near or coaching some of the best teams of the decade. Uh, you know, you can pick your selection of the UVA teams, any of the 15 through 17 or that 2013 team. I could even argue that 2011 team, uh, as well as the USC teams, the one that comes to mind that, you know, Roberto Quiroz, Gomez, Yannick Hoffman are the bottom three singles players. Uh, my question to you, we're going to be doing our college tennis best of the decade episode uh, pretty soon, but your thoughts on the best men's team of the 2010s. Jeez, you're putting yeah. me on the spot here. Now, I'll tell you this, Coach Boland copped out, so don't cop out. I need an answer from you. I mean, gosh, that's a dogfight. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, you know what? I mean, I'm going to have to go with, with my 2000, with our 2013 team. Undefeated? Yeah, the undefeated UVA team of 2013 that, mm-hmm. that uh, experienced uh, the miracle of the guy stepping on the net. <laughs> Pouget against Frank, I'll never forget. Yeah, that was that was incredible. But I'm gonna have to go with that team. As much as I wouldn't like to play the 2015, 16, or 17 team at UVA because they were all extremely strong and <laughs> incredible depth with JC at five and Henrik at six. I mean, that's just crazy. But uh, but I believe in my man Julian Uruguin and uh, <laughs> Jane, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my 2013 team. Yeah. So that's fair. The counter I always like to give, and I know this team didn't win a national title, so some people will discount it, but you were right there for this. There was a team at UVA where Jarmir Jenkins played four singles. The 2011 team, Shabazz, the best freshman I've ever seen in college tennis, and Alex Damajan, Sanum, and then Jameer, a healthy Drew Courtney. I mean, I know that team lost in the finals, but they were undefeated in the run-up to it. That's as good of a team as I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And unfortunately, Drew had a broken foot at that NCAA championships. And that's why, um, you know, that, that 2011 final, he, uh, I mean, he played all the doubles points with a broken foot. And, or not, a, I mean, he's had a, stractur- a stress fracture in his foot and he was just adamant. He was like, I'm playing, I'm playing. And, and um, you know, he just, he just toughed it out. And that was one of the most incredible performances i've seen from a from a student athlete in in my life and and unfortunately yeah he could play singles but yeah that team was unbelievable i mean sanam at three that's crazy jameer at four and you know shazi and 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 damo were were unbelievable at one and two so yeah no you're right they, i mean again that's a tough question right there but i gotta yeah i gotta sneak i gotta go with my 2013 team sorry yeah sorry uh richie jc i'm gonna go like a a list of players that i need to apologize (laughs) (laughs) no look i think they'll just appreciate that you didn't say usc team or you didn't say last year's team they'll be like no i appreciate the honesty i mean look the fun part about being a uva fan is you got a bunch of teams to choose from right there were a bunch of good ones uh throughout the decade which leads me to my last question 
you leave UVA in 2014. Now, you were there for a bunch of national indoor championships. You were there for the program's first, Coach Boland's first uh, team national NCAA championship. But you leave SHIP right before they go on their run of three straight titles. Did you ever text Coach Taylor and, like, these are my boys? Like, you're welcome. <laughs> no, because I know how much value he added to the team. <laughs> One thing about Dustin is that, first of all, the guys loved him. But second of all, I mean, he really gave these guys clarity as to how they need to play the game of tennis. And, and I really feel – plus, I think he added more structure to the program. And, and I really feel like he – he allowed these guys to prepare in a better way. And when they were on the court, they had clarity as to how they needed to play. And, and he also helped get their lives in order. So if he didn't have all of that impact on the program, maybe I would have talked a little trash, but the guy, <laughs> the guy was incredible. And, you know, it's, it's not, no, it's, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that they won three titles in a row with Dustin there. And obviously Brian did a great job and Carlos and, um, so, so yeah, they, uh, they killed it. <laughs> yeah, no, without question. All right. I'm throwing in a bonus one. I'm sorry. More raw power. Uh, Alex Damajan, Ryan Shane, or Jarmir Jenkins, just untapped. I'm going to hit this ball as hard as humanly possible. I mean, Domo was pretty intimidating. I mean, Domo, <laughs> Domo beat the living crap out of me every time we played on a uh, practice <laughs> And, like, I thought I could kind of, like, chip my way around him and, like, mix it up and, you know, really get the ball out of the spin zone. But he, as soon as you gave him a ball that he had some time on, I mean, it was over. And, yeah, Damo was probably the most intimidating. And, I mean, Ryan, yeah, Ryan was, Ryan was huge, too. I mean, he, he destroyed the ball, still does. Um, and, I mean, Jameer, I don't, I, don't, I don't consider Jameer, like, a big ball striker. The guy was just probably the best athlete, one of the best athletes I've ever coached along with with Carl Soderlund, but um, yeah, Jameer was just a freak athlete and um, and so clutch. The only guy that, that I've ever been able to coach that in the middle of a dual match, I could say to him, all right, Jameer, we need your point. And the guy would flip a switch and just turn it on and, and win. I mean, it was really, really fun to watch. I mean, the matches that come to mind, see, again, we could go for three hours, but that 2011 run, that quarterfinal, I think it was quarterfinals against Stanford, semifinals against Ohio State, and then even though you lost the final against USC, I mean, he got the point. I think all three of those were three set wins. So, like, yeah, guy was a beast. He was super clutch. I mean, he was, and a lot of times I just sat back, didn't say a word, and I just enjoyed the show because he he did some really special things. So he was fun to coach. But I'd have to say... I wouldn't want to face Alex Damajan. <laughs> oh, me neither. I, I, again, there's a 30 for 30 out there on Alex Damajan just re- waiting. waiting. Yeah, it'll be, you know, League of Legends, how one man's video game turned into a, just a tennis powerhouse. I don't know. I'll work. It's a working title. Uh, but obviously we could do this for hours. But, Coach, you know, I know it's late. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, obviously, good luck to, I'm going to say it, our UVA Who's this offseason. Enjoy your holiday season. And, uh, you know, anytime you want to come back on the Cracked Interviews podcast, we would love to have you. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for being so passionate about college tennis. Uh, we really appreciate how excited you guys are and, and how big of a deal you make our sport because it really is unique. And and so it's 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 a pleasure. So anytime you want me on, just let me know. And, and uh, we appreciate everything you guys do. 
Well, I appreciate it. Pandora's box is now open, Coach. But uh, before I let you go, can I get a go who's out of you? Go who's. <laughs> of course. Take, take care, Coach. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to our conversation with University of Virginia men's tennis head coach Andreas Pedroso. For you listeners who have missed any of our interviews or any of our College Contender Series content thus far, uh, Coach Pedroso, the sixth team, him and UVA, the sixth team we've done. We've also interviewed TCU, uh, talked about TCU and coach, and talked to Coach David Roditi, Mississippi State, talked to Coach Matt Roberts, UNC Coach Paul, USC Coach Macy, uh, the number sixteen Baylor Coach Boland, obviously now, and we've really appreciated all the times uh, you know so thank you to all of those coaches as well as coach Pedroso for taking the time to talk to us about uh, these 2020 teams and help get us listeners and fans prepared for the 2020 season I mean Chris you, you look back at all the coach Pedroso's sentiment I know me you and Matt were a little bit down but he seems to think this UVA team's got the talent to be right up there with anyone yeah I, I, I think he's obviously everybody likes the guys they recruit and they like the team <laughs> I think you could get a little sense in, in there that he knows he's got, you know, that he's got, he's got good guys for sure, but he's got some, if indeed he loses Brandon, you know, he's got some building to do there, but I don't, I don't think he has any doubts in what he's got and that he's going to be able to turn it. Yeah, certainly. And that was the thing. You can tell Coach Pedrosa believes so much in the UVA program, believes in what it means as a standard bearer for college tennis and, you know, propelling, uh, building off of the success they had throughout the 2010s to keep the program growing and uh, achieving even more as it moves into the 2020s. So as a UVA fan, personally, it, it's so great to see a coach with like Andres, his excitement, his commitment, his passion and his level of character uh, take over a program I care about so much on a personal level. So I mentioned it at the top of the interview with him. It was, I was looking forward to this interview for too long, and if, I, I swear we didn't organize it because I was nervous. And so, Chris, I thank you. I'm sure I talked plenty over to you when we listened back, but appreciate you going through it as well. And, yeah, uh, again, listeners, if you've missed any of these, these College Contender Series, we will be doing all of the top ten men's teams all the way through to the start of the dual match season. I mean, Chris, again, we talked about it in the intro, but these coaches, more and more impressive as we go on. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a blast talking to them. And, you know, and, and, and they all, it's clear they actually like coming on. They like to get to talk and, and, and they like the fact that we're, you know, giving that publicity to the sport as a whole. So it's, uh, you know, it's just fun to do it. And I swear to God, Chris, I swear to God, we are like three coaches away from getting them to change the coin toss to one of our fun suggestions. Now, it may not be the coaches playing, but all of them have said, you know what? Yeah, we can do better than the coin toss. <laughs> you know, I was thinking as as during the interview with Pedroso when he said, yeah, you know, if I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that Tony and, and, and Eaton would go for that. And I'm thinking, you know. Hell, the ITA doesn't even have to agree at that point. They can do the flip. <laughs> it can turn out however they want. And if, as long as the coaches did their thing, the teams could elect, oh, no, we defer because – our guy lost the lost the match and he lost the point anyway. So you know, yeah. it would be great. I mean, I, they should they should totally do that. 
this is what I'm saying for anyone out there who wants to critique college tennis, and there are plenty of reasons to critique it, to critique the sport of tennis as being un, uh, resistant to change. But having talked to these coaches over the past few weeks, Chris, they seem so enthusiastic, not only about coming onto the podcast, the idea of growing college tennis, but just exploring any avenue that they think, whether it would be a potential benefit or not, they, they don't shoot down ideas. And so anyone out there, tennis Twitter, you always get a few tweets of people who mock the sport, who emphasize what's wrong with it as opposed to focusing on what's right with it. I hope what you've taken away from these interviews, and Chris, I'm curious your thoughts, is that these coaches are both open to not only discussion on reform, but to actually conducting the change that would make the game and help it grow into the 21st century. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we bring up our, our share of, uh, you know, of, of the silly things. but it, Yeah, but, you but can one, be even more blunt of dumb shit. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you know even the, the, the pervasive thing behind it is that, yeah, when, we, when you're bringing up a serious thought and, and, and like with Coach Pedroso, the, hey, let's play all the individuals in the fall, you know, that, it's, that would be a big change, but, they're, but he's, all, you know, he's all for it. And, they, and even if he, they're not for it, everybody is thinking about it and giving you know, good reasons why they are or aren't for things like that, and, and they're definitely open to change. Absolutely. That's the one thing I would focus on is that ten- college tennis, or at least the minds leading it, are not stagnant. They're very much aware that the sport is a fluid thing and that it needs to adjust to the times, as all things um, must do. But another thing that you got to do to adjust to the times is uh, you got to, you know, what did we learn more about? Back in the day when, you know, speaking of adjusting times, I think back to the 1970s and, you know, what did it take to be a good tennis player? And obviously it didn't take much because Chris Halioris was playing college tennis. Uh, but this idea, wow, nothing. You didn't jump on me there. All right, we'll take in it. The, he accepts the seventies. In the seventies, <laughs> I was playing. Come on, Gracia. <laughs> Well, you accepted my premise, but the point being, you know what? One thing that I'm sure Chris would have liked to have more of, better nutrition, better self-prepared. He wasn't aware of the fitness level that it took. He wasn't aware of all the little off-court things you can do to make yourself a better tennis player. One of the fortunate things about living in 2019, being a part of Cracked Rackets, is that we as as a tennis community are now far more aware of what it takes to prepare yourself, put yourself in the best situation uh, to succeed on the court. And one way we are trying to help players do that at Cracked Rackets is through our promotion of the brand new tennis-specific energy bar known as Aerobar. Aerobar, our newest sponsor. Again, more potassium in an Aerobar than a banana. High melting point chocolate, meaning if you open it on your plane in that winter or that winter nats in Arizona, when even though it's winter, it's a hundred degrees, and you're like, uh, it's actually not a hundred degrees at winter nats. That shows I never really played it, but you get the point. It's a hot, sunny day. You're hungry. It's the third set. You're dying. You need some energy. You're like, oh, I have a bar in my backpack but then it turns out that bar is melty and you've got chocolate all over your face and you just look like a schmuck uh well with aerobar you're not going to look like a schmuck you're going to look like a champion it's beautiful packaging it's delicious taste it's organic uh ingredients it will help prepare you to be a better tennis player and chris i mean we heard from coach bullen we've heard from all of these coaches i feel like i was two or three aerobars away from a college scholarship yeah i don't know about that but what what i <laughs> I am pretty certain that one of those arrow bars would be enough to get this quinquagenarian past you in a set. <laughs> I mean. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You know, instead of those beer massages, maybe if you would have given Trevor an aero bar, he wouldn't have been cramping so much. Oh, great point if we'd only had him back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so, again, for our listeners, uh, you, again, you don't want to be putting junk in your system. You want to be prepared. Aero bar is the way to go, and that's our way to promote it for you listeners. Uh, they have been kind enough to give us a promotion. Use the code CRACKED30 when you go to their website, aerobar.com, to uh, look up uh, to buy their product. If you use the promo code CRACKED30, that's C-R-A-C-K-E-D-3030, the number, not the letters, uh, they will give you 30% off of your first purchase. And again, they will appreciate that we sent you there. So for us, please go and do that. They've also been kind enough as a way of saying thank you uh, for this new partnership to give us a free signed John Isner racket. Now, Chris, I'm pretty sure you could have Isner serve and I would still beat you at this point. But certainly a signed John Isner racket is a giveaway at the least. You know, if you're scrambling for a gift to give Trevor, isn't that, an, you know, at least sign yourself up for a raffle, potentially win that racket, and you have yourself a Christmas gift. I, I'm I'm still stumbling on the, I have an Isner serve and I can't beat you. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, definitely the racket would be great. You strike me as a guy who's got a one-handed backhand, now, not out of choice, but out of necessity. I mean, just just purely a slice because I have nothing else. <laughs> and right there I make my point, even as near serve. I think I still got you. But I tell you this, give him a month of the Aerobar diet and I would be nervous because Chris is a cyclist. And if he actually started getting the proper tennis nutrition in his body, who knows what he would be capable of and who knows what you, the listener, would be capable of once you get your first shipment of Aerobars. Again, the promo code CRACKED30. Go give yourself a chance to win our free signed John Isner racket by leaving a, a review on on this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, or the Mini Break Podcast. Leave your social media handle in the event. We will enter you in the raffle. The more reviews you leave, the more name, the times your name will be entered into the raffle. And give yourself a chance, again, an easy holiday gift from our Crack Rackets family to yours. Uh, but with that in mind, Chris, uh, any final thoughts on this Cracked interview? No, I mean, I'm just looking forward to keep going. We got four, four more to go, and they just keep getting, they just keep getting better every time. So we're... Uh... Looking forward. Hopefully next week we've got uh, we'll get Coach Shelton on if uh, if we can if we can do that and uh, and keep it going. Absolutely, and so be on the lookout for that, listeners. Of course, none of these podcasts would happen without our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a an editing job to do as always to keep you guys up to date with all of the latest news. And again, you need more from that. Go to our website. CrackRackets.com for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackRackets. Uh, but with that in mind, for our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, uh, who, again, uh, could not do this without, for my lovely co-host, uh, Chris Halioris, uh, who day in, day out, again, we are so excited to have join our Cracked Rackets team. For the incredible guest, uh, UVA head coach Andres Pedrosa, whose team and program we wish luck throughout the 2020s. And from everyone at our Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network team, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, uh, I, I don't know if we tell our listeners anything, but we'll go with, hey, Cracked Interview. See, even I lost the thread. You, you lose thread across all these. But Westoff, leave all that in. Chris, thank you again, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this interview, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>